Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to the Real Life Spokane podcast. We are currently in week six of our Experiencing God series, and this message is titled, Why You Have No Room for God. Let's hear what God has to say today. Well, I want to dive into God's Word today. If you've got a Bible, would you open to the Old Testament? We're going to go kind of backwards in the Bible, look at some history, and have a story to encourage our hearts today. 2 Kings chapter 4. If you need to Google it, do that. Ask somebody nearby you, table of contents. 2 Kings chapter 4. We've also got a thing on the YouVersion app that you can follow along. All my notes are there. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 4. We're in a conversation called Experiencing God. Because I believe that we want to experience God. You don't want to have a dead, lifeless religion. You actually want to hear from God, be led by God, changed by God, on mission with God. You actually want to experience his love moving through you to your spouse, to your kids, to those that you work with. You actually want to experience the grace of God moving through you to people around you. None of us like being stingy and angry and, you know, upset all the time. We want to be the people of God. And so this is a conversation about how do we do that? How do we experience God? This is week six. So if you've missed some, get on our YouTube. You can uh, catch up there. And and I would love for you to just help me kind of focus today on this. There There is this sense that God wants to speak, is speaking. When he does speak, am I I engaging my faith in this moment or am I kind of resisting God's prompting and his leading in my life. Because people who are kind of entitled about the way life should go, needs to go, they want it to go, have a hard time experiencing God. But people who are humble, soft-hearted, these are the kind of people who, who respond when God speaks. These are the people that experience God. There's a guy that was having a hard time responding. Uh, his name is Harry Truman. And no, he wasn't the 33rd president of the U.S. Harry Truman lived at the base of Mount St. Helens in 1980. Anybody remember this significant event? I was a baby at that point, but there was a massive explosion. But for weeks, um, people were saying, get off the mountain, Harry. He is kind of a local uh, folklore hero in a sense, because he's like, no, this is my mountain. I'm going to live here. I'm not going anywhere. This is where I live. Nobody's going to tell me what to do with my life. And then it erupted. Poor guy is buried under 150 feet of what used to be Mount St. Helens. Some people have a hard time making adjustments when, when, when things happen around them. And I'm praying that God speaks to us today that we aren't those kind of people. We are a kind of people that are responsive and soft to God's leading. So I want to pray. Let's look to God's word together today. Would you pray with me? Lord, speak. You love to speak. You always speak, God. Give us hearts that hear, that are sensitive, that are responsive, that are obedient. God, forgive us for our entitlement and our demands, Lord. Make yourself known in this time. Would your word come alive to us? Uh, Would you just fill this room with your presence, Holy Spirit? There's a lot swirling around all of us right now, and, and, and we just ask you to make a way through all of that so that we can experience you in this time right now, God. Make us a people who you can speak to, who you can lead, who, who, who you can shape for your purposes, God. Make us a soft-hearted, responsive people, Lord. We love you and we worship you in Jesus' name. Can you say amen this morning? Amen, amen. All right. 
Well, uh, this is a this is just a little bit of backdrop to kind of help you go. Okay, what do we think and believe about God? What do we think and believe about the way God sees us and who He's called us to be? Before we get to Second Kings four, let me just kind of lay the groundwork for you. Whenever God speaks, there is always going to be an adjustment required for your life. You cannot stay where you are and go with God. That's the bottom line for today. You cannot stay resistant, hard-hearted, unresponsive, and plan to experience God. The central theme of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus is the cross of Jesus Christ. When we sing about the cross, we're singing earlier about the son of suffering, the suffering that Jesus did on our behalf has always been the central theme of Jesus' people in Jesus' church. It is an implement of torture, but ultimately of death. Think about this, this being our central picture, the cross. This is not like a, a standard most people would hold high as a victorious standard because it is one that represents the death of our Savior. But we as Christians have chosen and understood that the cross has always been central to what it means to be Jesus' people. Why? Because it was on the cross that God loved all mankind. It was on the cross that God forgave us. It was on the cross that God healed us. It was on the cross that God defeated sin and death and made it possible for us to be free from this sinful, selfish nature that has owned us and controlled us. See, anybody that doesn't have faith in Jesus Christ is still enslaved to their sinful nature. But the moment that you put your hope in Jesus Christ, you are now set free to become who God made you to be. You no longer have to be dominated by your sinful nature. You can make decisions, make adjustments. You can now walk according to God's leading in your life. The cross is the picture of freedom that was bought for you and I. And it was bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. God sacrificed his son for every single one of us. See, See, his blood is a picture of the payment. The wages of our sin is death. And instead of God making you pay that penalty, he chose to put that punishment on his son. This is the good news of Jesus Christ, that you and I would able to be able to be free from this, this penalty of sin and walk the way God would call us to walk. See, the cross has always been central for, for the good news of Jesus Christ and central for the disciple of Jesus because it's at the cross that we recognize that our lives have been paid for with the, the good love of our God through the sacrifice of his son. It's at the cross that we recognize we are no longer our own. It's at the cross that we, we understand that this life is now lived for the purpose of God and for the glory of God and no longer for ourselves. See, the difference between somebody who knows about Jesus, believes in Jesus, and is a disciple of Jesus is the cross. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, if you're going to come after me, if you're going to be my disciple, you must deny yourself. You must deny yourself and take up your cross, this implement of death. It's going to require daily death to your old way of thinking, to your own priorities, to your own desires. You must take up your cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will actually lose it. 
if you spend your entire life trying to make it the way you want it to be, you're actually going to watch it slip through your fingers. But if, but if you would actually give up your life, lose your life, for my sake, you will save it. We're just singing, this is the kingdom. The kingdom is backwards. The harder you try to hold on to it, the more it's going to slip out of your hands. But the more that you surrender, the more life you're actually going to experience. See, the world preaches at you constantly that you need to do things your way, your agenda, your priorities, your desires are the primary desires of your life. The kingdom is the opposite. And Jesus' people are the opposite. As disciples of Jesus, we go, God, your desires, your kingdom, your priorities, those are the things that I want this heart to want. Even if I don't want it, God, help me to want it. Because right now, I don't really want your desires. I want my desires. But God, by your grace, would you help me to want what you want? Amen? Because I don't really want what you want most of the time. I want what I want. God, teach us to be these kind of disciples. The cross is central. Every time God speaks, it will require an adjustment. You can't stay where you are and go with God. So when you hear this, don't, don't allow yourself to get maybe kind of overwhelmed by it because it's, it's important, even on a memorial weekend like this, to, to just allow our hearts just to be softened by this part of the conversation. To think back and, and, and maybe where you came from, if you've been following Jesus for a while, to remember how miserable your life was without Jesus. Remember the addiction that you came out of. Remember the, the healing that God's brought to your marriage. Remember the freedom of forgiveness that you've, you've just been totally revolutionized by. Jesus' disciples always start with this invitation, come and, come and see, come and see how good God is. And then that, that invitation quickly moves to, all right, now go and die. Die to yourself, die to your desires, die to your priorities. Come and see, but now go and die. Die to what you think life needs to look like. Die to what, what you have decided your future is. I think Jesus' people have, have just understood that, God, you've paid everything for this life. Who am I to make demands on you and live entitled to what I think things are. There's just, a, there's a cost. The cross is this reminder of the cost. Jesus paid for you. So Paul says in Romans 12, then I want you to, 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 to live this life. I, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of what God did for you. Think about this, in view of God's mercy. Don't, don't lose sight of where you've come from, what God has done, how good he has been in your life. Now I want you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This, this, this life is a sacrifice for the purpose in the kingdom of God. It's holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. The book of James, I love what he says, man. There's this, there's this sense of understanding of what pure religion is. It's, it's taking care of widows and orphans in their need and, and keeping yourself unstained from the world. Keeping yourself not, not co co kind of collaborating with the world's priorities and desires that you have this understanding of like, man, God, you've bought this life with a price. This life is now yours. Do what you want with it. 
Every time God speaks, if you're going to experience him, it's going to require adjustments. You can't stay where you are and go with God. So, so have a soft heart. Don't get insecure. I know when God speaks to me about adjustments, it's quick for my heart to go, yeah, but, yeah, but God, like this has, been, this has been a struggle of my life. As people in the room today, we got issues, right? And, no, just me. <laughs> I feel alone. No, uh, we got issues, right? And, and, and some of these issues have been entrenched for a long time. And so maybe there's this anxiety that rises up in you. Well, if God's going to speak to me about that issue, oh my, it's going to take some work. It might take the rest of my life to get this issue kind of out of my life. God, you've got to do something supernatural. Don't get insecure knowing that God may very well speak to the things that are, that are just controlling your heart and your life. The things that maybe have dominated your thinking, the things that, 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 that maybe seem insurmountable in your life because our God, is wanting to make adjustments in your life so that you can experience him. He's not trying to keep something from you. He's actually trying to get you freed up so you can experience how good he is. And for you and I to get all inward in that moment of adjustment is really counterproductive because it is our God's grace and his power that is willing to come to you in those places of adjustment and heal you, change you. It is actually a place of massive dependence when God speaks. It's not a like, hey, you better go get this thing figured out and then come back to me, son, when you get your life put together. That is not at all this conversation. It is our God saying, hey, I want to change this in you. I want to reprioritize this. I, I, I want you to walk away from that, that relationship. I want you to change your work hours. I want you to stop chasing money so much. Yeah, but God, the economy. Like these, these insecurities always creep right in in that moment. But what I love about our God, if he's speaking, he will provide. If he is directing, he will lead it. If he is working in you to, to, to change something, it is our God who speaks, who finishes what he started, right? Philippians 1.6 is so good because it, it, it's this clear promise be confident of this, real life, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. What God starts, God finishes. Don't get all insecure thinking you got to do this on your own. No, 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 no. Our God, the one that's speaking, the one that's calling you to adjust is the one that provides the power and the courage to walk with them in that transformation. What God starts, God finishes. So, when I think about this whole conversation, for me, I just want to get us, I guess, theologically, I'm laying out kind of a framework for you to believe from and live from when it comes to understanding that God will speak. It will require adjustments in your life. But what I'm trying to do is just build you to a place of confidence. Because when God speaks, he's going to require adjustments in your life. You have got to become convinced like, not like wishy. This is where faith, James preached last week about faith and action. Like, you really don't have faith if you don't act. And, and, and when you and I come to this crisis of belief here, we have to make a decision that our God, who is speaking, 
is the God that will provide in what he's calling me to do. If it's change a priority, change an attitude, it's forgive somebody that's hurt you, it is let go of, a, of an agenda that you've had, it, it is to die to your opinions as great as they might be, to shut your mouth. I mean, maybe these are the things that God would speak to you, but our God is so good at providing the power, the strength, the ability to do what he's asking you to do. So don't get resistant. Don't get hard-hearted. Don't get insecure. God, I could never. I couldn't stop. I couldn't change. And just know that this is where faith comes in. It's right here at this point. God will speak, and it will be beyond your means and your capability. That's why God invites us into this thing in relationship with him. He's got his part. He's got the supernatural part, but we got our part as well. Make the adjustment. I'll break it down like this because I think 2 Kings chapter 4, where I told you to turn like 20 minutes ago, um, is a picture. It's just a picture the way God works. It's his part and our part. And, and here in this, in this short story here, we, we look back into the history of God's people and we see just a glimpse of our God's faithfulness. And I give you this picture as a place of courage for your heart today. To go, our God who, who works in, in this woman's life is the same God who wants to work in your life. The way God worked through the prophet Elisha in this passage is the same way God might want to work through people in your life. See, there was a a woman whose husband had just died. Chapter 4, verse 1 of 2 Kings. And her husband was um, a man from the company of prophets. Just give you the context. See, Elisha was kind of the leader, the lead prophet of that day, the one that God used to speak on his behalf to his people. And he had a whole bunch of other prophets that were a part of this kind of crew that ran together that God used to speak. Now, one of their wives comes to Elisha in this story. And she cries out to him, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that that my husband, that your servant, he, he revered, he loved the Lord. But now his creditor, is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. He had debt with a creditor, and that creditor is calling the payment due. The guy is dead. There's no way for him to make money anymore. And so instead of making this woman who has no money pay, I'm just going to take her two boys as payment for what he owed me. Elisha replied to her, "How how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? He asked. Think about this, the moments of insecurity when God speaks, God does something and and it feels like we're just looking around like I don't have what it takes. I don't know where to go from here. This is kind of that moment right here, this crisis of belief where she's going, I don't know what we're going to do. Elisha's like, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said. Think about this. Our, Our first glance is always that way, isn't it? There's no way I can give up this this way of living. There is no way I can make this adjustment. I got nothing. And it's like at second glance, well, I guess there is this little bit of oil, she said. It's olive oil. So Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Favorite line right there. Don't ask 
for just a few jars. This is setting up the miracle. This is setting up the faith. Then go inside, shut the door behind you and your sons, pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. So she left him. Afterwards, shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. This little tiny bit of olive oil began to multiply. Every time there was a jar, the oil just kept flowing. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. Think about this. There's a really cool picture here of God's part and her part. Go get some jars. How many jars? Don't get a few jars. According to your faith is how it's going to be done for you. Jesus is saying this all the time in the New Testament. According to your faith, you will receive your sight. According to your faith, you will be healed. According to their faith, your sins will be forgiven. There's all these references to understanding that there is our part and then there is God's part. God shows up in this miraculous way. The oil starts flowing and it doesn't stop until the last jar is filled. She went and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. This is a miracle. God God shows up in this miraculous moment. Think about the adjustment and the faith required in this moment. I've got nothing. I don't have anything. Well, I do have this little bit of oil. I do do have this tiny bit of of something in my life. And then God says, all right, now, now I want you to go get some jars. And I just think, this is how I think about this story. How many jars would I have gotten? How much room would I have made for the miracle? For many of us, God is speaking and he's he's wanting to do these miraculous things in our life. He wants to heal you. He wants to change your attitude. He wants to give you freedom from that addiction. He wants to transform your marriage. But we haven't given him a drop of room. We've only leaned on our own understanding our own experience, our own wisdom, our own power, our own strength, and we're mad. God, why aren't you working in my life? Their marriage is good. They they have all the money they need. And we're like in this posture of almost like entitlement now where we've gotten hurt and and kind of turned inward. And God's like, I want to do something miraculous in your life. I want to change you. I want to use you for my purpose. I want you to experience me. But, but, But we've become so kind of closed off. We haven't made room for God to work in our lives and through us. I wonder how many jars you would have gotten. And I think that this is a really important question. Sounds like another one of those Amber Alerts. Let's just pray for a second, Lord. Whatever's going on with that thing, those people, God, we just ask for your grace and your provision and a miracle, God. Let's just pray that every heart that's involved would be comforted and strengthened. We just trust you, God. You're so good. Give us wisdom on how we could be a part of whatever needs to be done, Lord. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Make room for God. That's really the conversation I want to have with you for these last few minutes is how do you make room for God in your life? He wants to, you to experience him. But if you're not willing to make adjustments and make room for him, you won't experience God. 
This widow in these jars, just give us this picture for us to see today. Oh, how many jars would we get? How much room would we make in our life? And that's really kind of the invitation of this whole conversation. When you're thinking about making room, start with this. If you've got notes on your seat there, number one is this. is Just start with the most obvious place, sin. Repent of sin. If you're going, how do I make room? Repent of sin. Here's what I believe about sin. Sin skews reality. You become convinced of things that are untrue and not working because of sin in your life. Oh, this addiction ain't that bad. That's a skew of reality. It is destroying your life. So any place of sin in your heart, just start with a place of repentance. Repentance is a simple concept. Turn from that thing and turn to God. It's often described as a 180. It's, it's not even like a, a, just a little tweak. It's a complete abandonment of that thing and a complete enthrallment with God. You've got to shift the focus off of that sin, managing it, giving into it, and shift the focus 100% onto God. This is repentance. It's to stop living for that thing and start living fully for God. Sin skews reality in your heart and your mind, and it deceives you. There are many places that you are enslaved that you have no idea. And sin is just kind of the tip of the iceberg that, that, that the Holy Spirit is showing you where, where it's starting to surface in your life. That is the place for us to get this stuff rooted out of our lives. It's maybe it's a root of bitterness. It's anger towards a, a situation, a parent that, that hurt you or wronged you. It's a, it's a place of, of, of brokenness that you've held on to and allowed to reign in your heart. Repent of that sin. This doesn't feel like a Memorial Day message, Richie, right? And I understand this, but, 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 but here, again, just refocus your heart. Man, God, make room in this life for you to do something supernatural. I don't want to stay stuck. You don't, you don't want to not experience God. You don't, you don't want to just have lifeless religion. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of a life. So for us just to be honest with ourselves, God, I need you. The sin is owning me. I turn to you. Repent. Man, in that place, you're making room for God to begin to adjust things, change things, lead you to a different place. And the second is this. Allow Jesus the freedom in your heart to do what he wants. The word there is freedom. Allow Jesus the freedom to do what he wants. Here's what this is. It just an attitude of surrender. I watch as we're making disciples around here, trying to help people follow Jesus. There are lists that we got people and they're lists of do not touch this one, Jesus. It might be uh, our future. It might be our education. It might be our financial Threshold that we want to be at. It might be, it might be our career. It might be um, a relationship. We have a list. We don't like to talk about it, but if, if God ever kind of pokes at it, we're like, mm -mm. 
And I'm asking us just to be a people who, who the rich young ruler James shared last week, the issue wasn't necessarily the money. The issue was the resistance, that he wouldn't give up whatever Jesus would speak to him about kept him from experiencing God. And I don't know what the thing is on your list. And I don't know what God might say and what he might not say. He might not ever ask you to adjust it. But, but, but if, if you and I have got a list that we're saying, God, don't touch this, that's what I'm, what I'm pointing at today. It's just to go, hey, let's not be a people that have this kind of stay out of this part of my life, God. But let's be a people who are surrendered. Whatever you want, God. Whatever part of my life, my soul, my attitude, my priorities, they're all open to you, Jesus. Change whatever you want. Adjust whatever you want. Speak to whatever you want. And I believe with all my heart that God, he is so gracious in this. He's so loving and kind that he will lead you through that thing. But it's really, for many of us, it's kind of a dethroning of, a, of an idol that we've set up in our hearts as the thing that we look to for fulfillment. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus loves to get those idols off of the throne of our heart and ask us to put him there. And so, so this, this is about us allowing Jesus the freedom to say whatever he wants, to adjust whatever he wants, to poke at whatever he wants to change, whatever he wants to, to, to talk to you about, that we are open, we are willing, we are humble, we are surrendered. An entitled person says, uh-uh, I don't want none of that, God. Don't talk to me about my career. Don't talk to me about my future. Don't talk to me about my income. Don't talk to me about my kids. I've got them planned out. I got it figured out. And I'm just asking us to be a people that would just say, God, whatever you want, give him that freedom in your heart. And then number three is this eagerly watch for his activity. When you and I just have a soft heart and a responsive heart, there's a curiosity and there's a hunger inside of us to go, okay, God, where are you working? What do you want to do? What do you want to change? What do you want to lead? What do you want to adjust? What do you want me to repent of? I'll repent of anything. I'll I'll do whatever you ask. This eagerness is what makes us Jesus people. This this kind of, this curiosity, this desire, this hunger inside of us. That's why we're singing about Matthew 5 earlier. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. I love that. If you hunger for it, God will reveal himself. You will experience him. If you desire, if you seek him, if you seek him with all your heart, you will find him. You will experience him. But see, a cluttered life doesn't got time and energy to seek him with all our hearts. So repent of the sin, give him the freedom, and then eagerly seek God, where are you working? What are you doing? Open my eyes, open my heart to see you at work around me. And finally, Live with an expectancy of his power to fill you. This is really important because this is the oil moment. (laughs) You got all the jars, you got all the room. And I only got this tiny little bit of olive oil. God, I don't know how you're going to do this miracle, how you're going to heal this broken heart. I don't know how you're going to change this marriage. I don't know how you're going to transform this kid. I don't know how you're going to do what I'm asking you to do, God, but but I'm going to start pouring. And live with a a sense of like excitement. God, how are you going to provide? 
How are you going to do this miracle? How are you going to work in this life? How are you going to give me the power to live the way you're calling me to live? And see, this is what makes us a people who experience God with this sense of expectancy in us. This is faith in action. This is us saying, I'm going to put my, my, my actual life where, where my words are. I'm not going to just be about a, a talk or a form of religion. I'm actually going to trust that God is going to show up in a miraculous way. This is where stories come from in your life. Stories of God's goodness, his grace. This is where people around you start to get impacted is because they go, wow, what is that? How did God do that? How did he provide that way? Who is this? What is happening around? Like these are the stories that we celebrate because God shows up in a miraculous way. He fills those jars. Man, these are the kind of people that experience God. This, this is who we want to be, Right? We want to be a people who, who are not entitled, who are not self-led and self-indulgent, but are free from our sinful nature and, and humble enough to say, God, this life is yours. It is a living sacrifice. I will give up whatever. I will adjust whatever. This life is yours. I am just about your kingdom, your purposes. Whatever you want to do through this life, God, it's yours, right? This is what makes us the people of God. This is what makes us people who experience God. Living with this humility, living with this desperation, living with this expectancy. Oh man, this is what makes our city different, your family different. This is what makes your marriage different. It's when God shows up in an expectant heart. Man, I think this is what we want. God, give us that hunger. Give us that thirst. Give us that desire. God, give us the humility to not hold anything back, to make whatever adjustments you would call us to make. Amen. Thanks again for tuning into the Real Life Spokane podcast. We hope this podcast encouraged you and pointed you closer to Jesus. As always, if you need prayer or just need to talk, please feel free to reach out. We look forward to hanging out with you next week. See you later.